Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 191 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Now, I love talking to guests on the show. In fact, that's my favorite thing about doing this podcast is all the amazing people that I get to meet. Sometimes, though, I will learn a lot. And this is one of those times. And today's guest, Cindy, was one of those moms who just taught me so much and gave me really an epiphany kind of moment where I learned about myself and my past and made me think a little bit about my future as well. So I know you're just going to enjoy listening to her. Now, I do want to put a call out if you want to be on the show or know someone who'd who would be a great guest, please email me at marcy at andysmom.com. I am trying to do my spring and early summer scheduling. So if you get those names into me, that would really be appreciated. Right now, I just want you to sit back and enjoy listening to Cindy, Jessica's mom. Thank you so much, Cindy, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad we are finally connecting. <laughs> I know, finally connecting. So I need to tell this story. So first of all, you came on the recommendation of Gwen. So I'm super excited about that because anyone that Gwen recommends, wow, I know. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> so <sweet>. anyway, <laughs> sorry to put the expectations high, but the expectations are kind of high because Gwen's Gwen's pretty great. There you go. But anyway, so we first scheduled a meeting. And then at the last minute, you had to babysit Mm -hmm. your grandchildren. Yes. So you had to cancel. Yeah. So we canceled that meeting and rescheduled. Mm -hmm. And then crazy thing happened. You get a flat tire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we had to cancel again. Yes. Then finally, we're going to do this last week. And a few hours before we start... You said, I have no voice, none, not even a squeak. Yes, nothing. (laughs) Nothing. So three times we have had to cancel. And this is time number four. So I don't know. We kind of are feeling like. I don't, something's working against us. Like this really needs to happen. So, yeah. So I'm hoping the record button is pushed. (laughs) Right, right. It better be pushed. It better be pushed. It says recording in progress. So yeah, I think we're good. Said it was. Yeah. But hopefully we don't have some sort of uh, system crash. I know it's it's all good. So anyway, I am really excited to finally get to talk to you. Your episode numbers have been keeping being pushed back <laughs> bit by bit because other people have had to jump ahead. Right. But we've got you now. We've got you now. And other crazy thing. Here it is. We're recording on the 25th of May. And here it is snowing. It looks like Christmas outside. All sorts of snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like another crazy day. Is it snowing where you are too? Um, It not? snowed yesterday. 
But yeah. today it is being washed away by the rain. Oh, rain. But it's okay. cold. Well, we've it got so cold. Snow. It looks like Christmas. It, if this was November, I would be commenting on the beauty right. of the snow outside. Right. Yeah. But it's the end of April, and I'm not commenting on the beauty yeah. of it. So. We're, we're over but it. But I did think it was fitting that it was snowing outside, too, now when we were finally getting together. Of course it is. it's another just kind of crazy thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So why don't you go ahead and just start by telling us about your daughter, Jessica. So Jessica is my second child. Mm-hmm. I had Sean, my oldest, and uneventful pregnancy. Everything was beautiful. And um, shortly thereafter, we got pregnant with Jessica. And again, uneventful pregnancy. Everything was just going along swimmingly. And it was toward actually the very end. I was I was at week 39 and a half and she just wasn't moving around and that's normal. Yeah. It's just a normal thing that happens, but something said, hmm, I don't know. And I was at the doctor's appointment. I just, you know, something seems a little off. The doctor says, let's, let's do a non-stress test tomorrow. So yeah. went to sleep that night and she's moving like crazy. I'm like, Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) everything's fine. Went to uh, the hospital for the non-stress. You know, my my husband, God, God bless him. He's like, you need me to go. I'm like, oh, no, I'm fine. It's all right. Right. This is just a just in case. Get to the hospital and, you know, they hook me up and the monitor is going and we hear this beautiful, strong heartbeat and my water broke. And I'm like, okay, we're doing this. Yeah. And as my water broke, you couldn't hear the heartbeat anymore. Wow. And then we would get a faint heartbeat and then nothing. And next thing you know, all of these people are rushing in. The doctor was there and it's like, we're, we're going into labor very, very quickly. Yeah. We've called my husband. He's on his way. He was only, he only worked like 10, 15 minutes from the hospital. And, uh, Right before he got there, I got ready to give birth because things were happening very, very quickly. And as she was born, she passed. Uh, She had a heart attack. Wow. Very odd. So, yeah, the scene is just, you know, it's so vivid in comes, you know, daddy and to see the doctor tell him that she's gone and just to start walking through all of that uh, was very um, difficult in, as I'm sure all of you know. (laughs) Yeah. So we had a a beautiful daughter that we, um, you know, we didn't get to speak to in, in this world, but we did get to hold her. We did get to say, you know, goodbye. And then come the questions. Mm -hmm. First, it starts with what did I do? Yeah. You know, what did I fail to do? If I had recognized things sooner, what, what's what's really wrong? And of course, you know, I'm a nurse by background, so I might get a little sciencey here, but you know, they start to send, you know, the placenta and the cord and all this stuff off. And, and then you go back to the doctor. Yeah. Because in the meantime, you know, you're, you, you've lost this child that you've been carrying and you're expecting to come home with. And yet your body is still doing all the things that it's designed to do after you have 
a child and realizing each time you wake up and every time you go to sleep and every moment that you're walking through the day that that they're not there yeah and having older brother asking well where where's sissy <laughs> you know where's jessica and trying to uh, you know help him understand when we didn't understand ourselves right Right. Because, I mean, at first you would have had no idea. Yeah, none. What had happened. Yeah, none. Right. And then we learned that she had, there was calcification of the umbilical arteries and of the placenta, which basically is like hardening of the arteries in an old person. Mm -hmm. At that time, um, there was only one other documented case of that happening. Really? Yeah. And so what had happened was uh, she had an anomaly in that um, you normally have two arteries and a vein in, yep. in that umbilical yep. cord, as, as I know you know. Yeah, I know. But other people don't know that. Yes. <laughs> and she only had one artery. Mm-hmm. And that artery calcified and it closed off, created an aneurysm at wow. the placenta and the umbilical cord. And just at that moment, everything closed off and her little heart couldn't, couldn't take over and she passed so it it started with you okay so you know you're saying it's not genetic uh, but it's not happening to anybody else what are environmental things you know I'm a questioner Um, at the same time when you're walking through that loss and that grief you know I'm also a stuffer (laughs) yeah so it's like okay I, I have to kind of become numb to this right I have another child to care for. I can't leave this world to go with the other child, which in my grief was hard. Yeah. A hard, uh, you know, and trying to recognize what, you know, my husband was walking through too. And um, it, it was just the craziness uh, of all of it. And so, you know, time goes on and... Right. You never forget and you never let go, <laughs> really. Because mm-hmm. when was this? When did this happen? This was uh, 1991. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you still have the birthdays that would have been. Yeah. You have, you know, your other children and you see them and you think, what if? Or I wonder what. Yeah. You remember what she had looked like and then what she might be like and look like now. So yeah, it, it, that was, it was challenging. And then I, I became pregnant again. I was in denial. <laughs> yeah. I, I really denied that pregnancy until the point where my husband said, look, it's very obvious that you're pregnant. We need to get care. And uh, yeah, I was five months along. <laughs> Really? Before really, you know, yeah, it was, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's just so scary though, mm-hmm. when right. you had what you thought was a totally perfect pregnancy mm-hmm. and everything's going swimmingly right. until the day before. Right. And even the day of you think, okay, okay, this is not a big deal. Right. And then your baby dies. Yeah. I, I I mean, I don't know how you would be able to go through another pregnancy in kind of a normal way because Mm -hmm. the worst has happened that way. Right. Yeah. And so you can't tell me that the worst can't happen again 
because I've already lived it once. Exactly. So yeah. you can give me all the odds you want. I mean, your experience was one out of two. Right. You've had two pregnancies. One ended in a healthy child and one right. ended with a death. So even if the odds, they say, are infinitesimally small, right? It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter to you <laughs> right. because for you, it's one and two. Right. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so, you know, I, I had my third pregnancy and, you know, considered high risk and getting ultrasounds all the time sure. and um, everything went well. Healthy baby boy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we had a third pregnancy. And terrified again. And you walk through it. And we had a little girl. Mm -hmm. And when she was born, we we didn't find out back then (laughs) what what we were having. And she came out and we were like, oh, it's a girl. And I immediately... Like, I can't hear her crying. Is she okay? Right. You know, uh, right. there's things that you convince yourself of, like, oh, uh, maybe I'm not supposed to have a little girl or right. what have you. And, you know, I wrote the scene again, chaos and hearing the doctor, everybody be silent and placing her on me. She's crying. She's healthy. She's strong. So you think, okay. We're, uh, yeah. Thank you. This is great. We've done this. We've got the, our two beautiful boys, our little baby girl. Yeah. We move on. And um, then we had actually a fourth unexpected or fifth unexpected pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so by this time, you know, I've had the three yeah. fabulous pregnancies of them, you know, um, we're good, right? It was an anomaly. Yeah. It was a strange, strange thing. And uh then we had our fourth and um, mm-hmm. oddly, I never went into labor early ever. Always, yes. always late on time or late. I was within a day or two of that due date or I was late. Yeah. And <laughs> I went into labor a week and a half early and I was like, this is weird. And you know, I'm still getting all the ultrasounds. We're getting all the things and everything's happening as it should be and go into labor and give birth and this little boy and he looked very very scrawny and he Mm -hmm. just did like almost like a baby bird (laughs) you know where they're like (laughs) (laughs) you know you're like "Hmm, you look different (laughs) and uh Oh, I have to laugh about it. But um, the cord had been wrapped. So it was difficult, mm-hmm. uh, a more difficult delivery. And when when the doctor was pulling the cord off, the cord snapped. Oh, wow. And everybody went exactly what you said. Oh, wow. What What's going yeah. on? You get him out. And he's crying and he's acting fine. The placenta comes and the placenta is like crumbled. Wow. And here we go. He had a calcified placenta. Both arteries were calcified. He, but he had two arteries. One of them was closed. Wow. He is now, I'm happy to say, a, a very healthy 27-year-old man who is, you know, married and traveling the country and doing all of that. But um, 
but there it was faced with that, um, reliving the, what could have been and being also eternally grateful and thankful of that, um, that, you know, I didn't have to go through that. And I think that what that did in me is gave me such an empathy Mm -hmm. for, for women and men who walk through loss at all stages of life, you know, from the moment that, you know, for people who are trying to have a child and they find out that, you know, they're expecting and, and they try along the way um, and have loss and experience that loss that it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, You know, and learning that lesson as, you know, and I might get a little off course here, but it's just so relevant to, to what I do today. Mm-hmm. You know, my sister was 29 years old when she passed away and watching my parents walk through that loss. And it was horrific. It was, um, yeah. it was the result of domestic violence and, you know, she was killed by a person who was supposed to love her and watching my parents watched their grown having to say goodbye to a grand grown daughter. That grief of loss of your child, it's just, it's out yeah. of the order of things. It's not supposed yeah. to be this way. Yeah. And then watching people, including myself, experience not just the emotional aspects of that, but the very physical impact it has on people when, when your hope, um, when your dreams are just shattered and there's this new reality that we're faced with. And on one hand, how incredibly our bodies adapt, but on the other hand, the impact that that plays on our physical health too. And so walking through those incidents, uh, you know, I can't not right? I can't not help people try to walk through that and have some understanding of what's happening in the body, in the mind, in your spirit, and how they all are just so interrelated. So yeah, a horrible experience. Um, Also seeing that it doesn't have to be for naught. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I it it's is an interesting perspective that you have. I think having you know lost your daughter on the day she was born, and then watching your parents lose their daughter twenty nine years after she was born. Mm-hmm. I mean, just talk about that. I think about some of those things that you that people from the outside might not see the similarities, but mm-hmm. that they are there, right? Well, the things that I saw was that, you know, once your child, always your child. Yeah. You know, in in the natural order of things, you know, parents, they want to protect their children. And yet we know, we know that, that we can't always, Mm -hmm. no matter the age, no matter the stage or the phase, I'm sure we can imagine, you know, when you first are expecting a child, you're, will it be a boy? Will it be a girl? Yeah. What will we name him or her? 
I wonder who they'll look like. Right. Yeah. And then they're born and you're like, I think they resemble you. Oh no. I think they look like you. Oh, yeah. wow, they don't, like who do you look like? We don't know. And then they start to develop that, that appearance. And you're like, Oh, this child resembles me. Yeah. Or, you know, they look like you, but they sure act like me. Yeah. Right? There's just such this intimate part of who you are as you watch them grow into their identity. And so watching your child grow, um, it doesn't matter if they're one or two or 29. There, there are still aspirations, you know, there's still the excitement of my, my sister had had two children. She had a seven-year-old and a six-month-old. And she's like, I'm so excited that we've gotten Crystal into this little program at school and she's going to start dancing. And my sister loved to dance. And they have this mother-daughter group. So she had hopes and these dreams and this excitement and then sharing that with our mom. Right. And mom's mm-hmm. saying, oh my goodness, that's so exciting. And oh, guess what, mom? I've been teaching Crystal how to play piano and my mom was a pianist. And so you, you see yourself in them and then suddenly it's gone. Well, and I think too, for that, I mean, not only did she see herself in her daughter to be able to see the relationship Mm -hmm. between her daughter and her granddaughter, Mm -hmm. you would think back to your relationship. Exactly. I remember sitting at the piano with you when you were little Mm -hmm. and now you're sitting at the piano with your daughter. Right. Right. All of those things. Mm -hmm. I remember all of those dance lessons that I drove you to all the time. Right. And now, you know, payback, right? Now you've got to go to the dance lessons, right? You list little funny little things mm-hmm. that you think are just amazing. And, and then, yeah, boom. Yeah. And then, and then kind of the, the, the floor drops out from under you. And so that's why I say, you know, whatever the age, whatever the stage of life, we're still looking forward. And it's a really interesting, yeah. it's, it's just a really interesting dynamic, um, you know, that even when we're coming to the end of our natural life, people look forward. And I think of my, my mom in her last days, you know, she was, she was on hospice. We knew she was completely mentally competent. She was you know, old age and things were happening. Even then mm-hmm. she was a mom, right? She was walking her children through. She was walking me through. I'm going to miss you. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be here when your kids get married this next year. I'm going to miss that. But you know what? You have what you need. You know, I'm ready for her to mother all the way to the end of her life and still looking forward. It just, it's like, there's help to be had. There's grief to, I I don't necessarily say overcome, but the grief can be, can be expressed and people don't have to be afraid of that. We can say our children's names out loud. People can feel comfortable saying their names to us. And 
in our healing, we can help other people heal. My, my daughter had a miscarriage after trying and trying to become pregnant for well over a year. And she became pregnant and she was like, I'm scared. I'm scared. And she lost the baby and she gave him a name. And she was like, mom, you know, you shared Jessica with us. And that was so important. And I want to share Colby, even though he was so tiny, you know? Right. You know, there's hope in that. And 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 it's important. I think it's important even for our own well-being, because you know, the death of my daughter really affected my physical well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The stressors and the traumas that we face, whether it's what is considered, you know, a big T trauma or a little T trauma, it doesn't matter. It's a trauma and our bodies respond to that. And our bodies respond in amazing ways, but it can only compensate for so long. And that's, that's the part that I feel drawn to in all of this. And and even in the work that I do, I'm, I'm a nurse by background, right? I've done additional studies in functional medicine. And the reason I've done that is because I've practiced for, you know, 20, 26 years in <laughs> you know, traditional medicine. And the last four years have included this functional medicine because it does incorporate both. It looks at there's this time and place where we need acute care and stabilization. We need some medicine and we need to take care of that. But we also need to ask what's behind that and what's the why and to know that there can be healing rather than this is just the way it is. And when I experienced Um, this grief and saw an exacerbation of my own conditions to the point where I was facing liver failure. And then having my options were liver transplant or try something nutritionally. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm kind of desperate. So I guess I'm going to take my eye roll about this nutritional stuff. (laughs) And I guess I'm gonna give it a try. For the past seven years, actually, I've had no problems. I did not get a liver transplant. I haven't had to take medicine. I was diagnosed very young uh, with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. While pregnancy puts that into remission as an autoimmune disorder, Mm -hmm. which was fabulous, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) it came back with a vengeance. And especially so after the trauma of, of losing Jessica. And then the body just kept breaking down and I had to take more and more medicine. And I was on IVs every six weeks and you know my liver and my body just couldn't do it anymore and i was carrying that grief yeah it's funny because the reason that yeah the reason that gwen originally wanted mm-hmm. us to talk is because we were doing an episode it was a little while ago now on the physical mm-hmm. symptoms of grief and she said i mm-hmm. met this woman cindy and she just knows so mm-hmm. much about that. She's just an expert mm-hmm. on that. And I was wondering if maybe we should have her on for that. But I don't know if we should do a two-part. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we should do. And I said, well, why don't I try to get a hold of Cindy and maybe we'll have her on first. You were supposed to be on first. This is how long. <laughs> yeah. Our, 
things have have taken because you know because you just she just felt like you were such an Mm -hmm. expert in that and knowing kind of what grief kind of can do Mm -hmm. to your body and that's why I thought I really do need to have you on so even now it's several weeks after Gwen and I did that physical symptoms Mm -hmm. of grief episode it's still I mean there are things she said there are things that she learned from you that she didn't say in that episode because she wanted to make sure you got to say them because they were they were from you so so uh, so I just want you to talk a little bit about that Mm -hmm. a little bit just to educate people Mm -hmm. a little bit on that because it is a relief Mm -hmm. actually to hear that some of what might be happening in my body could be partially could be partially right. due to the grief, right? right? That the grief is right. manifesting itself physically and making you actually right. ill. You know, it's it's you know, uh-huh. it's kind of it yeah. explains a lot. Yeah. Let's just put it well, that way. It, for me, I think it is I'm gonna use a really overused word, but it's empowering. Um mm-hmm. okay. to to be told when you are diagnosed with a condition or if you've not been diagnosed with condition, but you're manifesting so many symptoms and you're just told, well, you're just going to have to learn to live with it. Or one of my favorites, just don't worry about that here. Take this anti-anxiety or maybe you're depressed. Just take, take this. And while those things could be true, right? Yeah. Why? And it's not that those things might not be Correct. helpful, but it also does not explain Correct. the why. And there's more to it. Than yes. That, right. There's yeah. more to it's, it. It's the way our bodies actually work. So I like to, I, I like to tell a little story. It's a, it's a picture story because most people can really relate to what's going on in a body and whether it is grief or anxiety or fear, you know, Grief embodies so many of those emotions, right? Grief embodies moments of anxiety. Grief embodies moments of fear. Grief embodies moments of depression and withdrawal. There's so many emotions that are embodied in grief, but our body responds to grief and these emotions in much the same way. So, you know, many people have heard of our autonomic nervous system, uh, autonomic kind of automatic. And within that, there's the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic, think, sympathize, rest, Mm -hmm. digest, okay, parasympathetic, doing the other thing, right? That's your fight or flight kind of side of things. So... The picture I like to paint is most people have seen some form of a wildlife documentary, right? And so you've got the camera and you see the grass in in the plains and you see this lioness just crouched. And then the camera pans and there's this unsuspecting zebra. And the zebra's just munching on the grass and there's a cool pond behind them, a watering hole where all the animals are gathering and, you know, the the music is playing and you can feel the tension, right? You can feel the tension. And that zebra that is being eyed is is no no clue. (laughs) And they're usually not the strongest. They're not hearing the music. I know it's like, come on. Yeah. Right. Um, 
And then the moment happens, right? The lioness jumps and the zebra notices and the race starts. And the race starts. The zebra's flying around, running. You know, we're on the other side of the screen. We're like, get away. Right. right. Yeah. The moment happens. And the lioness gives up. And the camera shows the lioness kind of trolloping off, looking for some mother's poor unsuspecting creature. And then when that camera pans back to the zebra, the zebra's eating grass again. So what the zebra isn't doing, the zebra is not eating a little grass and going, yeah, looking and getting worried. Yep. What we as humans do. Well, that happened to me before. I remember that. We talked about that very early on. My experience Mm -hmm. was one in two. Yeah. So my my grief and my fear and my anxiety and my responses didn't look like me looking over my shoulder, but what it looked like was me going, fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I feel bad that you feel uncomfortable with this situation. So I just, I guess smile. I'm going to smile and yeah. But inside my body and inside your body and inside everybody's body, we're supposed to be acting like the zebra. And the zebra's response to fight or flight is appropriate. And everything in the middle of that body's, that zebra's body kind of shuts down a little bit. The heart just pumps hard and fast and is trying to get blood and energy to the arms and legs. And it's just running, right? But then when it stops, it says, oh, arms, legs, relax a little bit. We're going to get the immune system working again. We're going to get digestion working again and everything's going to go back in order. But if we're always looking over our shoulder, if we're always waiting for the next bad thing to happen, then this center part is still shut off and we're making more and more cortisol. That's the stress hormone. And when our adrenal glands, which sit on top of our kidneys, can't make enough cortisol to satisfy our weary minds, then we have this other little hormone. It's called pregnenolone. (laughs) And it says, you know what? I'm going to help make some of this cortisol. But there's a price to pay in that. When pregnenolone does that, it doesn't do what it was making before. And what it makes before is it's the precursor to making estrogen progesterone and testosterone so what happens to our bodies when we're not making these things bones skin and dare i say our intimate relationships with those we love all tank Mm -hmm. they just tank they can't hold up anymore and then we start to look a little bit like this zebra We'll notice our body shapes will change. We will get more round in the middle. Our our breasts will grow. Our bellies will grow. Our rear ends will grow. And our arms and legs, maybe not so much. And that picture Mm -hmm. tells us, you know, when I see someone, I'm like, "Mm, we're not making enough estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. We're operating more fully in our parasympathetic nervous system than our sympathetic nervous system. And there's things that we can do to calm that down. And it's not medicine alone. It's not, not everybody, not everybody has to go to counseling or therapy, but 
a lot of people that can help and it's nutrition because what we eat can either start those inflammatory fires burning and perpetuate them or can calm them down. And we think to ourselves, YOLO, you only live once. Like, I don't want to give up my chocolate cake and ice cream. I'm not saying you have to. But I'm saying we need to understand how to heal what's going on underneath because it's literally raging fires. And when we do that with a few simple little things, we start to think more clearly. We start to understand what's going on. We start to feel better. And little by little, we walk out the other side of that. And and the side effects of becoming well, the side effects are we lose weight, our cardiac risk goes down, we're more mobile, we improve our mood. So seeing that happen uh, with people day over day over day, seeing people who have no hope have hope and yeah. knowing that it's not just feeding someone a line to try to make them feel better, but that there's actual yeah. science behind this. It's just such a blessing. But that's what's happening in our bodies. You know, that's it's so interesting to listen to you talk because I I, I found myself going way back in in Mm -hmm. my own life. So my parents both got cancer when I was in high school. My mom got a recurrence really right the day after or two days after I graduated Mm. from high school. She was diagnosed with Mm. a recurrence. So she was dying throughout college. She died on Christmas break of my Mm. junior year. And I was obviously very, very sad and devastated. And I did... At that point in my life, I was living life waiting for the next bad thing to happen. Because in my life, that had always been what Mm -hmm. it was. It was always another bad thing would happen. And um, I just kept waiting. And that's how I lived. And I thought, and then I met my husband, Eric, and really, I really met him and started talking to him at the very beginning of my second year of medical school. And then we got married in the middle of our third year. So we were a pretty quick kind of courtship. And I remember him saying to me, not too far into the fact that when we were dating, kind of calling me mm-hmm. out on that, is you're always waiting for the next bad thing to happen. And I said, that's just the way I live my life. I need mm-hmm. to be prepared. I, I hope for the best and prepare for the worst all the time. I'm always mm-hmm. thinking, What's the next bad thing? And then, you know, then I fell in love with Eric and life turned around. And it's so funny that you say that because I didn't like try to lose weight. And I wasn't like incredibly overweight in college, but I did. And I was always like thinking like, I just like fell in love Mm -hmm. and lost weight. That is what I, you know, that was always has been the story in my mind. That I fell in love with Eric and that just made me lose weight. But now I think it wasn't really that. It's that I stopped living Mm -hmm. that way because he gave me such hope that I didn't always have to wait for the next bad thing. And I just, I mean, my body looked different when we got married than it did when I was in college. And I, again, I thought, oh, you know, it's that weight that you just gain in college. It's all of that. I don't think so now. It's, it's not. It's. I don't think so now at all. And then now, when Andy died, it all right. you know everything all went went terrible yeah. again. Yeah. Terrible. 
it's really helpful when I sit down with with people and they complete this ridiculously detailed <laughs> assessment. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous, but it's so important and it creates a timeline and we put this timeline together and, you know, you, you know, as a, as a doctor, you're thinking about history. What, what's your family history that's significant to what could be happening to you? So, you know, it shows all of these things. Then it looks at the timeline of this individual and, yeah. and you literally can align. You, you will literally see, okay, what happened in your life right here? What was going on when you were 19? And because sometimes we don't connect significance to something that was happening at that time. So, you know, I hear you hear you say, you know, my my mom was dying for the first three years of, of college, of your college. You know, yeah. you learned this two days after you you graduated from high school. Right. So as a person who's like, well, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. We're just, we just have to move on. This is the re that was like my mantra, right? This is the reality of life, right? You may not even think to put that as something on an assessment, but this assessment specifically asks, have you experienced the death of a parent? And when have you experienced trauma, abuse? Have you experienced the loss of a child? Like it asks that, but sometimes people don't put that. Either I've dealt with that, therefore it's insignificant. It, it, it couldn't possibly be impacting anything or I don't want to dig that up, right? Right, because it's too painful. Right, but then you sit down face to face and say, can you help me understand what happened when you were 19? Because all these physical symptoms are showing up. Or what happened when you were 25? What happened when you were 45? They'll be like, well, okay. Yeah. Now you see how how all the symptoms just keep you get getting more and more and more. Well, let's talk about that. This is this is the body compensating because our bodies were created to work perfectly. And then they don't. And then they don't, but our bodies are created to help us live, to preserve life. And so it compensates. And just like that little hormone shift I talked about, well, you're stressed out. You need more cortisol. So I'm going to do that instead of this, right? And we have to remind our bodies how to do what they were designed to do. Now, I will tell you, I, I believe that pretty much everything could be healed. It takes time. And some of us have more time than others. None of us really know. And so I think about myself, for example, you know, people look at me and they're like, there's no way you've had rheumatoid arthritis since you were a teenager. And I'm like, well, there's a way, let me show you my hands. And my fingers are nice and straight, but I have these ginormous knuckles. It's kind of hard to see, but you know, you know, like, they're huge, but you know what? They don't hurt. I can open and close my hands fully now. And this is like, it's smaller than it was seven years ago. So over time, wow. that damage can improve. It may not completely go away because I might not have enough years left in me. 
right? I don't know. But I'm just living life. I'm enjoying. You know, I, I eat foods that nourish my body and that I enjoy. And oh, by the way, you know, I just had Easter, right? I had the peanut butter egg. <laughs> so it is, it, it's just like, I want people to just know that things do happen to us that we do not have control over, but we're not crazy. Our bodies are responding in ways to help us to stay alive. And I just am grateful to be able to come alongside people and help them understand how they can live as opposed to just staying alive. It's really incredible. It's really incredible. Well, because there's a big difference, isn't there? There's a huge difference. There's a big difference. It's it's huge. It's literally life-changing. And so, you know, that comes in bracing the challenges that we've all been faced with. It comes with acknowledging the grief and how that feels and how we can work through that in healthy ways that truly, literally shift us from operating always in parasympathetic and shift us back to sympathetic. And I, I love to share one simple little thing that we can do in the middle of everybody's day. There's one simple thing. If you can change your thought for just literally this quick, if you can change your thought, it changes your chemistry. And so when you find yourself doing things like a lot of com- compensatory techniques that people will use to manage grief, we sigh a lot. Sigh. Breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Sigh. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's next? When you find yourself doing that, if you find yourself raising your shoulders and suddenly, you know, the tension, like, this is me. This is me. I do that. Uh, the tension here. Um, you find yourself like really irritated with everything and everywhere around you. Those little things, those are cues to you. And so I would say to you and to the audience and whoever is in, in hearing of this, think of that one moment that makes you happy. For me, it is the beach in Hawaii. Because I know that when I'm laying on that beach, the warmth, the rest, it's just, that's it for me. So beach, beach is my word. And when I can feel myself doing those things, I literally just say the word beach. And the situation around me doesn't change. I'm still in the midst of it, but the chemistry inside does change and it immediately pumps up our happy hormone, oxytocin. And if oxytocin goes up, cortisol and insulin have to go down. And as long as you're not in a fight or flight situation, if you're in fight or flight, your body's going to do what it needs to do, no matter what your happy thought is. (laughs) Okay. But having the happy (laughs) thought in the midst of even that will change the chemistry enough to help you shift more quickly back to calm, to rest. So that's the one thing. What is it? Is it Aruba? Is it baseball? Is it a sunny day? Is it skiing in the snow? What is it? Is it a cupcake? You know, whatever it is, just that one word, being able to call that one word to mind is going to shift your chemistry and you will notice you will start to notice a difference in how often you sigh. It'll reduce 
how often you feel the tension in your shoulders, it will reduce because you're just training yourself to think a little differently. It's so funny that you bring that up because I remember the first time I heard about the sighing because I didn't really know about that, that that was really a sign mm-hmm. of grief. And I heard that and I started noticing how much my husband Eric sighed all mm-hmm. the time, all the time yeah. he was sighing. And I said, do you notice how much you sigh now? And he said, what? I said, you sigh mm-hmm. a lot. And I told him, I said, that's I've learned now that's part yeah. of your grief. He was shocked. He didn't even right. know he was doing it. You know, I've always carried tension mm-hmm. in my neck, but honestly, I have a long history of a lot of cruddy stuff going on too, looking back. So that's been, I think, a coping mechanism that I've done for a long time. I just started going to see a massage therapist again for the first time in years. Mm-hmm. And he commented, so much tension, you have so much tension. And, you know, did I want to tell him my son was dead? Right. Nope. Right. I didn't. But, you know, in some ways I probably should because, you know. We become very concerned with other people's feelings and we don't want people to feel uncomfortable in, in that. Yeah. At the same time, I think we're uniquely positioned to help people understand how they can help people with through grief and and these experiences where, you know, in, you know, passing, if somebody says, how many children do you have, right? In my brain, I'm saying five out loud, I'll often say four. It just depends, right? Right. It de- it does. It does depend. And in those times when I say, well, I had, I have five children. Uh, my second child uh, died literally during childbirth. It was a long time ago. And I wonder, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's been a long time and, and, you know, we've journeyed through that. Her name was Jessica, you know, and I've had people yeah. say to me, like when, when you have that conversation, when I remember that, I remember saying that. And at first I was like, oh, I'm sorry I asked, but you were very just quick and concise and yeah. like, thank you for asking her name was Jessica, you know, thanks for asking about my kids. And I'm sorry that I have this sad thing to tell you. But yeah, I want to acknowledge her. And, and again, you're like, it depends, you have to read that you have to read right. the room. right? But it is it's it's, right. um, you know, we are our brother's keepers. Right? We are our sister's keepers. And so I don't want to, to be a trigger for somebody else. And I don't think that it's other people's responsibilities to have to carry my grief. At the same time, if it can be helpful, I will share that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So what is it that you're doing right now? I function as a functional medicine nurse, which means that um, I have a master's degree in nursing with a focus in functional medicine, which is kind of like another two years of education, learning about how the body works and lots of hormone pathways and lots of uh, electrons and and all of that. And so with that, I see clients, people who have been struggling with chronic health conditions and just want, just really feel like they can do something different. I work alongside physicians predominantly. Uh, So physicians will refer 
people to me, patients who are like, we've got their blood pressure stabilized, however, or we're two steps away from prescribing something to get this cholesterol down and their blood sugar is out of control. The weight just won't come off. Thyroid, a lot of thyroid hormonal health uh, situations, men and women. My client base is predominantly women. So it's about 75, oh, probably 80% women, 20% men. Um, The men get it through their wives who come to see me. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yeah, I, I, the referrals, we complete the assessment and then I do an initial consultation and we develop a plan together and work toward wellness. So that's what I do. So do you do this all in person or do you do some of it online or what do you do? So right now I Mm -hmm. have physical offices in Southeast Michigan in the Tecumseh area. And then every other week I travel to Hastings, Michigan, which is how I met Gwen, because I have an office that sits in the space of spiritual care consultants, and that is connected to Family Tree Medical and and, uh, Troy Carlson. So I see clients there every other week, Mm -hmm. and we just help people become well. It's sharing what I know, helping people understand their own bodies and what they can do. And sometimes, you know, people are like, I can't do that. Like my story is like, what do you mean? You want me to give up Diet Coke and coffee make creamer? Are you crazy? Like the only reason I drink coffee is because I like creamer and it's socially unacceptable to drink straight creamer. (laughs) And so, yeah, they're, they're, that's what I do. Um, I function independently um, as an independent practitioner, but I come alongside people's physicians. So I get a lot of referrals from physician offices. I get referrals from people who have worked with me and share with somebody else and they come to see me and we work through that. So I like my initial consultations to be in person, but they're not always because, you know, I can't get to Ohio and to Illinois and Florida, you know, you can't get to those places. So I like the initial consultation to be in person because you can see each other. You can, I can do a good physical exam, but that's not always the case. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it is remote. If we need a referral to a physician, some people don't have a primary care physician, so we'll help them to find one. That's my favorite way to work is to work alongside a physician who can help to just coordinate the care. And then then there's this kind of underlying motive to that is just when traditionally practicing physicians see the change in their patients, it affects change in the way they care for others. Yeah, that's true. Well, how can people find you? Got a website? Yep, cindyraymond.com. Org, although I will tell you, there's not a lot about physical medicine on that. So you're better, best bet, or functional medicine. Facebook, uh-huh. Cindy Raymond, or Wellness Warriors. I have a Wellness Warriors page that has lots of cool information in that. And then email, which is Cindy Raymond, Cindy with an I, C I N D I, Raymond at onpurposellc.org. <laughs> 
it's a mouthful, but yeah, it's Cindy Raymond on purpose. If you just Google that, I'll come up. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. I learned so much today. I, it's so, so valuable. Thank you. Good. I'm glad it's been such a pleasure, such a pleasure. I'm grateful to be able to talk about this to anyone because, you know, I've experienced it. I've experienced the grief. I've experienced the physical manifestations of that and I've experienced healing and coming out the other side of that. So if I can help anyone do that, that's what I want to do. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment to help financially you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.